How do we deal with the trauma in our lives, but especially the trauma in the lives of those we care about? Today, we have special guest, Melody Rodarte, and she's going to unpack some of these important topics with us. Watch right now, No Gray Areas. Melody Rodarte, thank you so much for being on the No Gray Areas podcast. Your husband was, oh, he did an amazing job. We had him on months ago. One of our most listened to podcasts for a while. So we actually, as couples, my wife and I and you and Tony, we, be, we become friends, had dinner a couple of times. So we're just, we're so thankful to have you on here. We're going to talk a little bit today about what it's like to be a spouse of a first responder. When your husband was on, he talked a little bit about protecting our protectors. I mean, first responders are protecting us. We need to protect them. So we'll talk about that. But I want to I want to back up, first of all, and just because our audience is going to love your story. You have a fascinating story because you're a first generation from Lebanon, Lebanon, which I can't go to anymore because I went to Israel, have has have that in my passport. And I found out I can't visit Lebanon until I get a new passport. Correct. Right. Right. Because I want to go to Lebanon someday with you, with with you and Tony. I'd love to bring you. Yeah. Yeah. So you were first generation. Your mom and dad, Lebanese, grew up there. They moved over. How? When, when did they move over here? My dad moved in 1969 and then my mom in 1973 when they got married. Wow. So th- did they get married there and they come did. over together? They okay. did. And did they, where did they go? Did I was thinking New York City probably. They actually came here. They came straight my, to Phoenix? Yeah, my dad had family that moved here from Lebanon. And so he came to where there was family already. And yeah. so Phoenix, Arizona, more desert than Lebanon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Lebanon, I for our audience, and a lot of them may have no idea what Lebanon is like, there's a lot of beauty in Lebanon, right? It like is. Even if they've read the Bible, they know they talk about the... Cedars of Lebanon, Cedars right? Cedars and the mountains. And yeah, it's yeah. a gorgeous place. Yeah. It's a gorgeous. So I, I'm excited to take you because yeah. I have been able to take Tony twice now and my kids. And that was beautiful for them to experience where yeah. I'm from, where their yeah. mom is from. Yeah. And yeah. you have twins. I have twins. Right? Yeah. They just turned 20. Yeah. Yeah. And so they got to go see where you're from. Did you actually go to your your hometown or where your parents were from? Yeah, we were able, they were able to, uh, my mom's parents were still alive yeah. at the time. Um, and so they got to meet my grandparents, a lot of my cousins, my um, aunts and uncles, and a yeah. uh, majority of my family is still there. So yeah. they were able to experience that. Wow. How many times have you been back to Lebanon? Oh, geez. Probably over 15 times. I mean, really? my parents were incredible at taking us, uh, my brother and I, starting probably around the age of five. We yeah. went probably every other year, every third year, uh, to continue just to, to see our family. Wow. Yeah. Um, my dad goes yearly. He has a house there. Um, my mom, it's a lot of work, so she doesn't enjoy going there for as long. But my yeah. dad literally yeah. probably three to six months out of the year still goes there. Yeah. So you grew up with a lot of the, the culture of Lebanon, right? Eating the foods and the, and then, in fact, before we turned our mics on, I found out something interesting about you. That's your first language, actually, is Arabic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up, by the time you're three, four, five years old, you're bilingual then. I was. My mom learned how to speak English with me because she, her really? school uh, was French and Arabic. So she came to the States without speaking English. So yeah. she learned with me. And my father's school was French, English, and Arabic. So he already knew how to speak English when he came. Wow. 
So your French didn't help your mom getting around uh, Phoenix. There's not a lot of French speakers <laughs> no, there here. There weren't enough French. <laughs> yeah, there, really, <laughs> there really isn't. Wow, how fascinating. So I've been to Israel several times. And in, when you're in Old Town Jerusalem and you walk around, you hear Hebrew and Arabic just left and right. You're just hearing it constantly. And those are two of the most beautiful languages. Mm-hmm. So can you gift us with saying something in Arabic? Because some of our listeners maybe haven't heard anything, maybe a TV or a movie they have, but it's a beautiful language. It is. I, you know, I I'm love. I'm putting on the spot. It's all right. I, I love just saying hello, marhaba. I think it's just such a pretty way of saying hello, marhaba. And, marhaba. Um, and then marhaba. habibi. There's so many ways of saying habibi, which is my sweetness, my love. You know, it's habibi. You can use for your habibi. spouse. Your. Does Tony hear that a lot? <laughs> he does. He's heard it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just, just making sure. Habibi. 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 I'm yeah. going to drop that on my wife today. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Habibi. I would say that say if that I said that, I would be like me saying sweetie or, yeah. okay. All right. I like it. I'm going to drop a little Arabic on my wife today. That's, totally that's good. Do it. Thank you. <laughs> Walk Thank in you. the door, say marhaba Habibi. <laughs> marhaba Habibi. I like it. I'm going to try that. So you, uh, you grow up here in Phoenix, first generation. You're speaking Arabic, learning English with your mom. You, they came, were they a religious home? Did you grow up in a religious home? I did. They were Catholic. They were practicing, uh, they practiced Catholicism. So we would actually go to mass in Arabic. On, here in Phoenix? Here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So so you though, where did you really start learning English? Were you going to an English school or I, did, like at home, I'm assuming your parents were speaking Arabic still. They were. And like the music and was Arabic. Like we had eight tracks back then. And I <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I it was those. classic Arabic music, like Feruz. Yeah. And and so we were blessed to have neighbors that told my parents about a, a private Christian school that was small. And so that's what they put me in um, starting like pre-K four and kindergarten. You're like immersed learning English then. Mm-hmm. So you're speaking English during the day at school and going home and getting Arabic. What a gift. Yeah, I it have- really was. Well, that would be the that would be the fun thing about traveling to Lebanon with you or even Israel with you is you get around really well there then because you speak the language. And yeah. even in Israel, if you're if you speak Arabic, you can talk to almost anybody because most people in Israel can are probably somewhat bilingual with Arabic and Hebrew. Yeah, most of um, I would say most of Middle East. It's been great because I've been able to use my Arabic as well as my English. Majority of them yeah. speak English at some point yeah. or at least will help you get around with yeah. that. But yeah. it's definitely better if I know some Arabic to try and and figure things out too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get a trip on the calendar for sure. Sounds good. So one of the things that we want to do here today is when we had Tony on, as I said in the introduction, when we had Tony on a few months ago, um, Tony was a homicide detective, right? And so he, he, man, he saw some stuff. We can all, the audience can only imagine some of the stuff that he saw. And uh, any first responder, I mean, that's just the nature of their job. They're going to have some calls. They're going to see some things that humans should not have to see. They're going to deal with things that humans shouldn't have to deal with. So in that journey, then, he, he's, he's struggling with what I think any first responder or probably anybody who's been in combat in the military, in some ways, any human being, because all of us, we come on a car wreck or we've been in a, maybe a violent family or we've seen something, but they're seeing it regularly. And if I remember the story right, it was around his retirement. So he's been dealing with this for a long time. That is, is am I right? Where yeah. you said, Tony, I, I think you need to get some help. Yeah, right? it was probably about three years, but three to four years before retirement. I just, I, I could see that there were some, um, there were some behavior changes, and where I knew that he had probably seen too much. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so you said Habibi, right? <laughs> did I get it right? <laughs> you did. Yeah, good. I'm just practicing my Arabic here. <laughs> so you you said, I, I think you should get some help because you're, you're noticing. What were some things that you were noticing with him, if you don't mind me asking? Is that well, okay? Yeah, he's a really positive. Um, he, is. he is. And I noticed that things were a little more negative. Um, he wasn't wanting to do as many social events, and he's pretty social. And... Um, he, he talks about the world being people-y um, and, and things were becoming more people-y. And what does that mean? Just things would bother him. Like there was no buffering of what would kind of upset him or what he would want to deal with. It was just like he, he would withdraw then from doing things because he didn't want to deal with the general public, even our friends at times. So you're noticing that wasn't the typical Tony. That wasn't no. the Tony that you knew. And so you're seeing that. Were there any other indications? Were there yeah, any other? he wasn't sleeping as well. Uh, he wasn't doing all the self-care that he was used to doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, there was definitely changes. Um, they were small in the beginning, but I really noticed that his sleep wasn't as restful as, as before. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think his, he had an even more heightened sense of um, just negativity around him, kind of what yeah. was going on in his world. Yeah, that irritability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I want our audience, because our audience may right now be going, well, maybe I'm going to stop this because I'm not a first responder and this doesn't apply to me. But it, it really does. And again, that's why I've already mentioned a couple of times, but that quote that Tony used, you know, we need to protect those who are protecting us. And you probably use the same quote. And I think that's so important. The, the listeners may not be a first responder, but you probably know one. You may be married to one. You may have a, a relative that is one or a friend that is one. Or even if you don't, again, that, that quote, you, every day we get up and we drive wherever, whatever community we live in, it's those first responders that are helping to protect us, to help us keep safe. If things go bad, if we end up having a heart, they're the ones that are going to show up. So it's a very important conversation. And I think what Tony went through is probably somewhat normal, right? I agree. It definitely is normal for, um, I think the statistic is 18% of first responders will go to a major life event within their first year. Like and a then traumatic, traumatic event, event within their first year. Mm -hmm. And then just think of every year then further on on patrol or working. It's And so it can, it can, it can add up. And with, um, you know, with my husband, it was, he was in, um, specialty units his last 15 years so there was it yeah. was daily so he's the yeah because i remember he was dealing with the homicide as we said but also i think he still volunteers and stuff with missing and exploited children yeah know, just working with that area so you're reading hearing seeing some of the most horrendous things that, that things that I, I just don't think we as human well we certainly know but both of us being from a faith-based perspective we would both say we were never meant to see that that this world wasn't created for that and Right. Until sin and brokenness entered, and now we've just seen horrible things. So because of that, though, we have this group of first responders out there, or I would I would include military in there, that are carrying a lot of weight and a lot of burden. And, th and then there's been a stigma for a long time. Yes. Tony shared he's, it's, that he thinks that's changing, but it's still there in a lot of ways, that if you go get help, it means you're broken in some ways. Right. That's right. that's what that's the stigma that was there. Yeah, that was his stigma. That's why he wouldn't get help in, yeah. until he was retired. Yeah, because and, and part of that is you're worried about if I go to, you know, apply or transfer and then all of a sudden I've got this on my record. It's like, oh, I, I went to get help. I went to get therapy. You must be broken. Right. That's part of the, the struggle. Right. Yeah. Do you do you think that's changing? 
I think it's changing, and I, I hope we're at the forefront of that changing as well with our, our mission. And yeah. I think uh, in the last five to ten years, oh, maybe just five, um, military has definitely taken a step forward with understanding PTSD yeah. and, and trauma and, and being at the forefront of not labeling uh, their military, you know, those who have needed help. Yeah. Um, I think firefighters um, ha- are, it's more, becoming more aware of it. I think in, uh, uh, as far as police officers, the stigma is still too high. We got a ways to go with that one. We do. Yeah. Well, and you as a, you're a doctor, yeah. right? So what kind of doctor? I'm an internist or an internal medicine physician. Okay. So what does that mean? Uh, I Adults. I know what that means because I know <laughs> you, but what is yep. so? So internal medicine is, uh, we, you don't do any pediatrics. So you learn um, in residency to take care of adults. And okay. everyone who goes on to do specialties, they do internal medicine first. So yeah. if you're seeing a kidney doctor, a heart doctor, a gut doctor, but um, internal medicine is, is the base. Yeah. And you can be a primary care physician as an internist, yeah. or you can go on and specialize and you actually have your own practice right i do yeah yeah well and i bring that up because you recognize then as a doctor how this affects i mean again i think in our western thinking our western mindset we compartmentalize everything and so we have our physical box and our spiritual box and our emotional box and our social box but i think we're recognizing you can't you can't compartmentalize that they're all tied together so as a doctor probably even more so than than most of us you recognize how this trauma and the things that first responders are seeing how that's going to affect the whole person yes uh, physically and you even brought that up like you were seeing some of that with tony right he's not sleeping very well but is it from a doctor's perspective help us understand a little bit what we're understanding with 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 post and i know i brought up ptsd with tony and he goes oh time out <laughs> and i i've gotten because he said this i've gotten better at it post-traumatic stress disorder i almost think we need to drop that d it's just post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It's not a disorder. It's it's just something we, if you de- deal with trauma, you're going to deal with the stress of it. And that's that's definitely correct. And, you know, the, it's not really a, a diagnosis. It's definitely a time of stress. And, and there are physical things that we can measure. Like it, it's lack of sleep. Their heart rates can go up. Their blood pressure can go up. They can have insomnia. There are so many things that go along with it that, mm-hmm. um, yes, as a physician, I, I feel blessed that many have felt safe with seeing me because they know they knew Tony's wife was a doc. And so yeah. they felt safe coming to see me. Um, and um, and especially when other first responders understood that I had a first response, you know, my husband was a first responder. They are more comfortable seeing me. But so I have I saw that I saw the changes in Tony early. Mm-hmm. And did I? I encouraged him to to seek out help, and um, and 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 it was wonderful when he finally did because then he figured out there there shouldn't be stigma over it, and it just took one or two sessions to you know to help him feel better, yeah. you know. And really, so it's you start seeing a difference. He starts seeing a difference that quickly. That quickly, it just he it just literally on his second session, he yeah. was back to back to my Tony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But I do, I can see what you're saying where um, some of his friends, buddies, coworkers probably did um, feel better about coming to you. Because then you're, you're dealing as a doctor, then you're dealing with some of the physical things that they're seeing because of the post-traumatic stress. Right. Correct? Right. They yeah. come in with physical complaints. Yeah. And it was more, it was secondary to stress and emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Their body was, was reacting to yeah. that. Melody, I'm just, I'm so excited that these conversations are being had now, but even with the uh, 
even with us understanding I mean, the Eastern medicine or the Eastern world is they most of the world, I might say, is much better at not compartmentalizing these things and understanding that we're created as holistic beings that you can't separate those. But when you're dealing with the physical, you also recognize, well, that's tied directly to what's happening up here spiritually, yeah. right? Those are all yeah. connected. Yeah. I always tell people. If you don't think they are, don't eat for four or five days and tell me if that affects you emotionally, right? <laughs> we get hangry. Yeah, yeah ask anybody hangry. if they've yeah. ever been hangry. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I love that you brought that up. I'm a DO, so I'm a doctor of osteopathic medicine. And that was a route I, I chose because I do believe that we should learn in systems and not just uh, one organ at a time um, and, and incorporate Eastern and Western medicine together. I think that's really important. I saw wow. that. As I was following around other doctors, I, I saw that it would made a difference is understanding what their home life was or their work life was like that could really encourage how you got them to take care of themselves so wow. that their physical complaints might be secondary to the stressors of their life and yeah. how how it's intertwined so oh man i love that you did so give us that was a long word you use your doctor of what of osteopathic and then what so break that i mean i think you just did in some ways but what does that yeah. mean so especially here in in, in the world you can get an MD or a DO. So, and that's a, a physician. So okay. a doctor of allopathic medicine is an MD and doctor of osteopathic medicine is a DO. I can guarantee a lot of our audience is learning right now. Yeah, okay. I love okay. it. I love yeah. to teach. Yeah. But so you may or may not know when you're seeing an MD or a DO when you go to the doctor. A lot of people don't know until they might see your signature and be like, Oh, I thought I was seeing a doctor, and a lot of times I'll say you are. Yeah. Um, there are there are more MD schools than DO schools, but your DO can be a surgeon, can be your heart doctor, can be. I mean, we can do everything that an MD can do, and we actually have about more hours a week on the musculoskeletal system learning what's called OMM or osteopathic uh, medicine yeah. um, manipulation, almost like what a chiropractor does. Yeah. Um, and so we've integrated that into when we learn understanding to use our hand to our hands to diagnose and to treat um, and incorporating really? kind of like mind body yeah, and yeah. being more holistic. So I chose that path because I I did believe that um, who we are and the life we live makes a difference on how our our body ages and yeah. how we can treat uh, yeah. we can treat disease and prevent disease. So when I tell you that all through my twenties and thirties I didn't hardly sleep at night, you would say there's there's <laughs> that wasn't not healthy, that not a good thing, <laughs> not a good thing, and probably had to deal with more than just I just don't sleep well. Yeah, was connected to to how I was doing life or yeah. Well, the amazing thing about that is how how cool is it that God brought you and Tony together, that you went down the fields that you did and all of it kind of because you really recognize the importance of getting help and how it's connected physical, spiritual, emotional, like we're saying to the whole person, which is why you guys started your, your nonprofit, our nonprofit, right? Yeah. It's just, so tell it's, us a little bit about that. Yeah. So our nonprofit is called the Compassion Alliance. And um, it did, it came out of seeing what Tony went through and then wanting to serve um, other first responders and have a safe place for them to seek help um, where they didn't have to use their agency. So we're a 501 uh, C3. Um, nonprofit organization, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we treat first responders for PTS. Um, yeah. I'll, I won't finish that PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> for, but we want them to be able to not have to worry about 
using their agency or being labeled. And why um, Why is that really quickly? Because of the stigma. St- we mm-hmm. are fighting that stigma. And uh, most, just like my husband, will not seek help until they're retired because they're, he was worried about getting a desk job, yep. uh, being labeled, potentially losing his retirement um, when it, it was for something that uh, no one should he showed up at the worst time of someone's life every single day. And so there gets to be a point yeah. where you shouldn't have to have those images. Um, can, can I jump in real yeah. quick? Because I don't want our audience to miss what you just said. I think that's so good that they're showing up at at the lowest moment or the most difficult moment of people's lives. That's what first responders generally do. Yeah. Whether that's it's such a car a accident point. or in, in his case, a homicide, a murder, like every time he gets mm-hmm. a call, someone has died um, or, or attempted to die, you know? Yep. And so, um, and, and that, that adds up. I don't want to yes. see that every day. Yeah. I I, yeah. I would have some trouble with some of those, especially if it has to deal with children or so there was. Um and, and our firefighters think about in our EMS, they're showing up to car accidents and fires and and heart attacks. And so you're showing up every time someone has a need. Especially when they deal with children. The first responders that I know when I talk to them. It's especially the the cases with children. Yeah. It's just so hard to take and deal with. But so your nonprofit, tell us the name of it again. The Compassion Alliance. Okay, the Compassion Alliance was set up to help protect those that are protecting us and allow them to get help. And so what you do is, if someone came, if a first responder, if someone our audience is listening, and you know a first responder, you're a first responder. What they would do is reach out to you, and what what would happen? We depending on where they're at. We love that even though we're Arizona based, we will help anyone throughout the United States, and we pair them up with trauma counselors and uh, and pay for their services, um, so wow. for their treatments. Yeah. Um, and so it is. It's a it's a complete gift. We feel honored and blessed to be able to yeah. provide this service yeah. because our goal, and you'll hear Tony talk about this, is getting somebody to live again, getting them back to um, their family and being a functional part of society um, and bettering themselves. And yeah. that, that's that's our goal. I I saw that change in Tony so quickly, and I want that to happen for other first responders too, where those images go away um, yeah. and they don't create the stress that was happening to his body so that he could be a part of our family again, want to go out with our friends again. Yeah. And that's what we want for first responders, a safe place that they can be referred to and, and feel that they can get the help they need so that they feel whole again. Yeah. I would care deeply about this no matter what. I really would because I've always held a, a special place in my heart. In fact, I thought seriously about becoming a first responder, but I have, my son is in the military and he's a first responder in the military. And what I hear you saying, and this is where this becomes personal to me, is what you, what what Compassion Alliance is set up to do is to help my son work through the trauma that he's going to deal with as a first responder so that he can be a better husband. He can be a better father to his his four kids that he has so he can be a better son and a better friend and a better just live life. I love that you said that. That's really what it was set up for. Yes. Correct? Yes. Oh my goodness, that's so amazing. And when you guys pay, when when your organization pays for someone to go through this, what it's helping is it's not on their record then, right? They Correct. don't have to worry about the stigma then of and even though that's starting to change, they just they don't even have to worry about it because it's it's not there. Right. We we allow them to not tell their agency. Um, that they're, they're, they're getting therapy. 
Um, yep. And that's so huge for many of them yeah. uh, to know that they're, they're, there's no record. Yes, there's a record, but not that their agency yep. can yep. get a hold of so that they can feel safe by, yeah. by doing that. So let's, let me ask you two things. I want, I want to get uh, our audience to know where exactly. So if you're listening right now, pull your car over because you're going to want to write this down. Um, we'll put it. We'll put it in the notes as well. Um, we're we're on all the social media platforms that we post this. We'll put it in our notes as well. But I want them to know how they contact you, because maybe a first responder is listening, and they go, "I need to get some help," or maybe it's a loved one or a friend of a first responder, and they want to write this down and know how to get some help. So, how how would they reach out to you? Um, Compassion-alliance.org. So. Compassion-alliance.org. Okay. So write that down. Everybody listening, write that down, compassion-alliance.org. Um, we'll put it in our notes as well or on the social media platforms that where, where we post this podcast. But I also want to do something that's always uncomfortable if you run a nonprofit for you. I believe so much in what you're doing. I want to, I want to highly, highly, highly recommend our listeners to support Compassion Alliance because I know you and Tony, you are people of integrity. Um, I know this is an incredible organization that is absolutely having an impact and it will have a generational impact. You and Tony and my wife and I talked about this last time we had dinner together, where if you're helping someone get healthy, you're going to be helping their children and their children's children. This, yeah. this is a generational impact. So what I found out was that when I had Tony on last spring, you guys had a, a pretty good chunk of money in the bank because you had people that had given and you still didn't have people hearing about first responders. So there weren't a lot of first responders reaching out. Right. Now you have the other problem, thank God, that a lot of first responders have reached out and said, we need to get help. You guys are moving into Texas now and like, ah. Uh. Yeah. But what's happening now is you're running out of money. And what you want to do is when a first responder says, I need help, you want to, you want to be able to get them into therapy. So you guys need money. We need money. We yeah. do. And, and it's so true. We are so thankful for the first time that you had Tony on because the outreach of just that being it passed on, it was just amazing that we finished the year out with 47, uh, re, uh, being able to treat 47 first responders in five states. Man. It's just amazing. And we do. I'm I'm getting more bold, as is Tony, for asking for, for money because when there's no money, we can't offer therapies. Yep. And um, we, that's our fear. We never want to turn anyone away. Yeah. 47 lives this last year. And again, that's going to be generational because I can guarantee you there are going to be better spouses, better sons and daughters, better brothers and sisters, better friends, um, better parents. Yeah, better at work. Better even. at work. Yeah. Great point. Great point. But that's 47 lives. And uh, and then that's that's gonna have a, a a massive impact. So, oh man, I can't stress it enough. If you're listening, and you want to know where to give or how to help or how to, how to make a difference, go to compassion. What is it again? Hyphen. Hyphen. Alliance. I was gonna say underscore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Compassion-alliance.org, and this is a great organization to give to. Five hundred one c three, so they get a tax write off. Yes. You are people of integrity. The money is going to be used well. It's going to go directly to helping them. Good. Anything else that I'm missing? Anything else you'd like to say? No, I, that, I just thank you so much for letting us spread this word because we do. Our mission is to help as many as possible. And I love that, um, you know, there have been some corporate sponsors that have stepped up to the plate. That's our biggest prayer is is having those with big 
hearts that want to see change. And we are a small organization where your donation does go straight to the first responder. There's not a lot of overhead. There's not a lot of overhead. We're yeah, doing everything yeah. so by ourselves right check, now. When someone writes a check. It's uh, literally paying for someone's therapy. That's huge. That's, that's not often that happens. Well, let's finish with this. This is a fun part. We always do this, and it's ironic because this is no gray areas. I'm going to ask you to lie to me. So our <laughs> listeners have been listening to to you for 30 to 40 minutes. Two truths and a lie. See if you can stump me and our listeners. I know, and I because you learned about me speaking Arabic, I couldn't use that one. That was one so of the truths. that was one of my truths. Yes. It was my first language. So I have, let's see here, I have visited six of seven continents. I was the fastest typist in junior high. And I decided to go skydiving when I was in college ooh. to break the ooh, fear. That, ooh, those are good. Those are good. Heights. Okay, I'm going to say the fastest typewriter in junior high is correct. And I'm only saying that because you're a doctor and you're probably pretty driven. So the fact that you know you were the fastest typist in junior high, right? Right. Okay, okay. But I was supposed to be, this is the funny part. My teacher wanted me to be an executive uh, secretary because I was the fastest typer. Oh, you typer. were so good at it that, yeah. Yeah. He's oh. like, you can't be a doctor. You're going to be an executive secretary. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> doctors can't even sign their names legible. So, okay. So I got a 50-50 chance now. Um, man, you guys are adventurous and you've done a lot of travel. I'm going to say the continents is true. It's wrong. Oh, I am, I am like 0 for 7 in the last but seven five, podcasts. I hit five of seven continents. That was so a good still one. pretty good. That was a good one. <laughs> Because you do, you you guys have we done do. a lot of traveling. Okay, so five of the seven. Okay. Yep. Okay, good one. Good one. <laughs> well, Melody, thanks so much for having. Thanks so much for being on the, uh, our podcast today, and for what you and Tony are doing. I just appreciate it so much. No, you are you. definitely making a difference in this world. Thank no, you. Thank you. I think you would agree with me that Melody Rodarte was amazing. The information she shared was amazing and crucial for us to understand. My challenge for you and me today is to do something, not tomorrow, but today, do something for a first responder that you may know, whether that's a, a, a relative, a friend, someone that you care or love, do something. It may be as simple as a text message, but do something for them. Like, follow, and subscribe to No Gray Areas. Thank you.